podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey. And joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 2, Union Saint-Gilois nil in the Europa League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. Dave, a very, very uh, typical example of what I think most of us envisaged when we saw the group initially, uh, sort of a drab affair, getting the job done, um, the kind of uh, European night that is not going to be featuring on anyone's great memories, but it's another three points in the bag. And I don't know, it's hard to be too annoyed with anything uh, when you've got them tucked under your oxer heading off. The only thing that matters is the three points this, at this stage. I mean, that was a match suited to a Thursday night in the Europa League. If anyone ever wants to know yeah, what's the difference between the Champions League and the Europa League, just show them that game as a prime example of a Europa League game. And look, we, we go in with a team that's, you know, disjointed, hasn't got a whole lot of minutes under its belt together. In many ways, it's merely a fitness exercise for us to get through this group stage, to get minutes in the legs of lads that aren't playing a ton in the league. So it's serving its purpose. Um, and and we come away with a victory, which over the 90 minutes, I think 2-0 is a, is a fair reflection. I think second half, they definitely gave us a bit of a, a bit more of a scare, much of that through our own pricking about. Um, but I, I just want to start with a word on, on Gerald Kwanzaa, because in a, in a back four that included the club vice captain, uh, a French international and the starting Greek left back, I thought Gerald Kwanzaa was the standout defender of mm-hmm. the four. Um, did have one iffy little moment where he put his hand on the fella's back. And we've seen that in the past, how referees can sometimes just look for a reason to give a give a penalty or, or give a decision. But other than that, I, I thought he was outstanding. I thought... Very, very composed, read the game very well, dominant, won his challenges, and and just, you know, kept the ball moving when when he when he had it. So all things considered, you get that that performance from him, you get minutes in Trent's legs, minutes in Ibu's legs, Gravenberch gets his first goal for the club. Jota continues this wonderful knack he has of being absolutely dreadful at the football and then scoring a goal. Uh it's it's all good. Good, positive things. It's hard to see anything else, Harry, but a sort of utilitarian uh, approach to 
that game, that result, as Dave says, lots of boxes ticked. And as a result, then we can, now that it's over, be happy. But it was both a boring and uncomfortable sort of a watch for a while in the second half as we conceded, I think, something in the region of 10 corners for no particularly good reason. Um, Yes, of course, they had their tails up a little bit, but I don't think they had an attempt on target. And still, the uneasiness was there until Jota did what Jota did right at the death. Yeah, no, it's a Europa Heritage game, isn't it? I think as Dave's mentioned there, so it's all exactly the type of game uh, that reminds you sort of why you dreaded being back in the competition. You know, games that you you sort of have to watch and you watch them and then you you don't remember very much about them. Um, I think there's, as Dave's mentioned there, the, the, the fact that we made it through with no injuries, you know, and a good fitness uh, sort of exercise for a number of players who either come back from injury after a period of, of time out of the team or actually have been on a, bit, a little bit on the periphery and have had a chance to get another um, sort of solid outing under their, under the boots. I think it's, those are the main positives. I think at times you can sort of see a team uh, like ourselves in a game like this, like not necessarily, you know, I mean, like lower themselves to the level of the opponent, but sort of they're aware that they don't necessarily have to go into like top gear to be able to sort of beat a side like the one we were facing tonight. Um, yeah, that can go either one of two ways. Uh, sometimes you can get a little bit, uh, um, you know, like a little bit complacent in those situations and maybe you get caught. But I think throughout the night they show that there just wasn't the quality to, to really harm us. Um, like like number of situations they got themselves into where you think if there's any sort of ruthless finisher that they, that they have, you know, at their disposal, maybe we'd be in trouble, but, uh, yeah, a solid outing for a few. I thought that, I mean, Dave mentioned Quanta, but for me, probably Gravenberg as well. Uh, had another solid game uh, where I thought he, he he stood out and you can sort of see the work that's gone in there to try and make him focused on his pressing. So, yeah, that's uh, a solid outing, uh, if uh, not very uh, not very memorable. Not very memorable, not very inspiring, but <clears throat> some things of note for us to talk about. Um, the overall stats in the game are kind of bananas when you look at it. I think we had uh, a huge percentage of the ball, 74%, and probably should have been more overall because we did seed a bit in the second half through, I think, just disorganized play as much as anything else. 19 attempts from the Reds with nine on target as opposed to uh, six from them with two on target, apparently, which I don't currently remember. I yeah, we'll we'll get to it. Um, but just to come back to you really quickly, Dave, on this and to segue into talking a little bit about them briefly, because nobody, I don't think, between um, all of us is going to, you know, come out as a superb expert on uh, this particular side in terms of understanding all about them and what they're doing on a week to week basis, but. It did seem, and like I don't like saying this because who knows what's going to happen if we catch them on a good night and we have a bad night, but it did seem like a real mismatch, regardless of what 11 we put out there. I was loving it. I'll be honest with you, Dave. I was watching their Twitter um, timeline, and I swear to God, since their last game was finished, every single tweet has had either a mention of Anfield or Europa League or photos of them walking around doing the tourist thing. Genuine 
genuine excitement from this club to be coming to our club and playing European football on a weeknight in Anfield. And so, uh, without being in the least bit condescending, I've no intention to come across that way. I genuinely thought, that's cool. I, I actually love yeah. that. I lo- love to see that. But it did feel like an awful mismatch. And I think if we were, there was always the feeling that maybe we like almost needed to concede to just kick our arses and get into proper gear and really, you know, go for the jugular. But it it never really was necessary. And therefore, it never really happened. Yeah, I mean, it was a mismatch. You know, if we put our best 11 out there, we would have potentially scored double figures on them because that would be the gulf in talent. And, and like you said, you're not being condescending, you're not being arrogant about it, but there probably was a sense of that from some of our players, where it's like, we're just much better than these, we'll, we'll turn it on and off as we please, which is often the way when a, a bigger club plays a smaller club. But I loved how excited they all were about this. Like, I, I love that video of them on the plane and the pilot reading them out, the, the teams they've been drawn with. Yeah. And he purposely leaves Liverpool to last because he knows that's the one they're going to get excited about. And I always love seeing that. I remember when, when Zavoslai was at Salzburg with Haaland and we drew them in the Champions League. And I remember seeing the video of th- those two watching the draw for the Champions League group stage and how excited they were. And the same thing when they came to Anfield and were walking around and just in awe of the place. And it's easy for us to forget what a big club Liverpool are, what a historic venue Anfield is, because to us, it's just our club and our home ground. To others, it's this, it's this theatre of, of, you know, incredible football, incredible history. You know, it, it is one of the meccas of football. And... I loved how excited they were. I really like that's a career highlight for most of those guys. Yes, they might win some some pots and pans over the careers, but they'll always have that tale of the night they went to Anfield and had a go. And they and to be fair to them, they did have a go, and that's what I was appreciative of. Because oftentimes when smaller clubs come to Anfield, they want to park the bus and let's get out of here without getting hammered. And that could easily have been their mindset. But they came over and had a go and they only lost 2-0, so they didn't get hammered either. So they went tonight with um, the goalkeeper, Morris. Um, they had Castro Montes, who really sort of came into it as the game went on alongside um, uh, old Home Alone there. Uh, Burgess as well, the a typical sort of name you'd be expected from here and Mashida. They had Terho Amani, who I thought did well over the course of the night and was a bit of a threat. Van Hoot Puertas Nielsen, who is a very big lad and probably should have scored against us tonight. And Amura, who also did bits, I thought, to be fair to him. I didn't know anything about any of these lads in advance, Dave. Uh, on their bench were a lot of other names I didn't re- recognize. I remember Sykes coming on. We were told he has connections uh, to various clubs in England because mm. he is of that uh, parish Siddiqui came on as well and I thought he looked lively and might be one to watch in the second leg but I know very little about them um just your initial take on them as an outfit um you know it's it's a good story their story it's interesting to watch 
uh, where how they've gotten to where they've gotten to. Um, but, you know, again, we'll go to their place. You really want us to be beating them very comfortably again, if needs be. It'll all depend, of course, on what way the group is set up at this stage. And apparently, unless I'm mistaken, Toulouse have won tonight against Lask as well, which means that's Toulouse on four points. So we beat Toulouse, and I think the group is pretty much done. We beat Toulouse twice, and it's all over and done with, and we'll be through. And then we don't really have to worry too much about the last two games. And we'll have that last game in our pocket, that home last game as well. So we're, we're in a really good position here. Um, in, in terms of, in terms of uh, them, um, I mean, the, the, the reason I've got any real awareness of them at all is purely because Tony Bloom owns part of the club. And Tony Bloom has brought a lot of the methods and the the analytics company he uses for Brighton to work with Union St. Gillows as well. Or uh, St. Gillows, is St. Gillows, is that how you pronounce it? She um, was, I think, yeah. She was. Um, he, he's brought a lot of his methodology from Brighton to them. So they've had a, a couple of players of note over the years. Victor Boniface was there last year. He's currently doing very, very well with Bayer Leverkusen. But of the current squad, I mean, Kevin Rodriguez I had some awareness of purely because when I started looking into Ecuador pre-World Cup, he was a player that was talked about as, you know, a potential number nine for them that, you know, could do bits. And obviously Kevin McAllister um, for two reasons. One, his name is Kevin McAllister and he's Argentinian, which is just it's still wonderful to me that that's his name. And that's where he's from. And the fact that his brother's name is Francis, and I really hope he goes by Frank, because having Kevin McAllister and Frank McAllister, who would have to therefore go by Uncle Frank, would be just brilliant. <laughs> um, and then obviously the other reason is because they're elect- he's Alexis's brother. And obviously with Alexis doing so well in the Premier League, when they first, when Brighton first signed him, I started looking him up and looking into him and seeing, you know, well, who is he? Where's he from? Especially when you know you hear that Brighton have signed an Argentine, Argentinian kid called Alexis McAllister, and that's really the only awareness I had of, of Union, other than you know keeping an eye on results because you just keep an eye on European leagues. You know they they got promoted three years ago, finished second in their first season in the Belgian top flight, which first season back I should say, which was a great achievement. Finished third last season overall after the playoffs uh, that, 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 that they used there. And this season, they're top. So to just be the fact that they're kind of in the mix. And, and Belgium's always a league I just kind of keep an eye on in case any young players start to pop up that, you know, might get linked to us eventually. So you watch the odd game here and there. But they're not necessarily a team I'd ever watch. But you, I just, again, you have the awareness of who they are where they're from and, and where they are in the league and that's about the height of it. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. 
We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Tip of the hat as well to the travelling union fans. I thought they were very, very, very good. Brilliant. Uh, like, we, again, Trev, that, that's, that's a massive, massive occasion for them. Them as fans, their little club who three years ago were in the second division in Belgium, and tonight they're playing at Anfield. Like, that's... Think of that kind of journey. We can't relate to that journey because no. our club has all for for all of our fandom, our club has been one of the top clubs. But like for them, this journey that they've been on over the last couple of years, like that memory they have tonight will will stand alongside any silverware they might win in the next couple of years. Yeah, you'd, you'd imagine so. And, and who knows, they might pull something out of the bag in the home leg. Like we said, the, the group might be done and dusted and it'd be very interesting to see how we go in that one. Um, Harry, we went, I think, surprisingly strong for most people this evening. I don't, I don't think many people saw this team coming, if I'm being honest. The goalkeeper change was enforced. Um, we became aware today of an injury for um, Cuevin Kelleher, uh, which is unfortunate. Um and I think an awful lot of people were expecting Pitaluga to play. I was just as glad Alison played. I'd have put them, the house on Alison playing, to be honest. Uh, but we had Trent starting at right back in the captain's role. Ibu Kanate also starting alongside Kwanzaa and Simicus on the far side. He went with Elliot, Gravenberch and Endo, and then Salah, Nunes and Jota. Now, not many people saw that coming, Harry. And really, I suppose, when you look at the quality of that 11 starting, there should probably have been a couple more goals tacked onto that first half performance when they were all together. Um, talk to me about your level of surprise with the starting 11. If there was any, maybe you, maybe you completely <laughs> called it. Um, and just to remind folks, the bench was looking very solid, of course, as well with Gomez, with Virgil, uh, Luis Diaz, Dom, uh, McAllister, Curtis, Robbo, Matip, Chambers, Doak, Yarosh, and Rosek. Um, so, yeah, your take on that 11 and, and, and your reaction to it when you saw it first? Yeah, no, certainly stronger than I was expecting. I think, uh, I mean, there's there's some players in there that I, I think made sense in terms of, which we've already spoken about them in terms of Kwanzaa, Endo, Gravenberg, Simikas. Um, I mean, Kanate and, and Trent as well, given sort of the fact that they've been out of the side for a little bit. It is weird to me that Kanate has ended up being this this cup centre back for us at the moment, whilst uh, uh, sort of the you know, other options have played perhaps a little bit you know, better in the Premier League or just been in good runs of form, perhaps. But yeah, I think it's uh, attacking wise much stronger than I was anticipating. Um, wasn't expecting to see Mo anywhere near this competition for at least a few more games. Uh, but then again, he did obviously come on against Lask as well. Um, Virgil, I've been enjoying Virgil just sitting quite comfortably on the bench for these games, uh, <laughs> smiling from here to here, congratulating people when they come off. Um, I mean, that's what I expected was going to be Salah's role. So perhaps you were just itching to play football because, uh, you know, I think we know what his personality is like. And then part of me also thought, well, maybe... Yeah, it's been a week of speculation and frustration around VAR. Perhaps the decisions just, you know, go out and feel something by blasting 
blasting Paul Union uh, away in the uh, in the Europa League. So uh, perhaps it was a little bit of that as well. You know, play these guys, maybe they bag a few goals and, and get a bit more confidence, restore the feeling. Um, didn't end up that way, of course. Uh, and I mean, we'll probably come on to sort of Nunez's uh, evening, which is yeah, always eventful. Uh, but no, I think, I mean, largely it just shows again the, the ability for us to make a number of changes and still have a team that's strong enough um, on the evening to, to, to compete or more than compete in this competition. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's positive to see. Um, and I think in, in certain areas that perhaps where we were a little bit worried about the depth in certain areas, there is um, or there have been newcomers to those positions that have proven themselves. Uh, and I think Kwanzaa is a great example of that. Let's see you and I talk about the first 20, 22 minutes of this uh, first half um, in terms of the Reds dominance of it, to be perfectly honest. It's all Liverpool on five minutes. The first moment of note where the ball breaks towards Mo and he was in on goal, but the keeper is out well um, at his feet. And it's a great save by him, to be fair. Um, ball goes over for, for a corner, over the bar for a corner. We get nothing from it. Um, more pressure on eight minutes. Uh, Gravenberg and Simicus. Uh, who puts in a cross uh, then from the far side there's a Trent cross and there's you know we're ramping up the pressure nicely on nine minutes fantastic drive by Gravenberg and Darwin put the rebound home um, but he was offside and um, you know as you said earlier on um, it's going to be impossible to deal with any offsides whether real or fake for a while uh, without uh, just having awful feelings of discomfort anyway the ball was in the net it didn't count cracking hit by Gravenberg to be fair to him though that guy can 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 make contact with a ball really loving his contribution in those opening minutes you can see an awful lot of quality in the kid on 13 minutes Harvey has a break, um, but his scuffed shot is pretty poor. It's across the face of goal and cleared um, comfortably. wasn't on target anyway. 14 minutes, uh, vicious um, Darwin cross in. And then within a few seconds, Darwin's having another attempt himself. This one's over the top. A lovely move on 16 minutes. Um, Harvey plays a gorgeous through ball to Mo Salah. Mo with the effortless first-time centre. Darwin's coming in on the on the edge of the six-yard box. It should be a simple matter of sweeping the ball home. But whatever contact he makes, I think he makes contact with the inside of his right foot. The ball is coming across him from right to left, and he just gets it all wrong. It's one of those ones that's not quite in the Ronnie Rosenthal worst misses ever, but it's 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 up there with some of his worst ones uh, on a personal level. And just two more incidents I want to talk about, and then you can go back and pick apart wherever you want to go. Like at this stage, we have talked a little bit about Darwin. We've talked a little bit about Gravenberg, uh, Simicast front and center as well, Mo Salah being involved. Uh, on 20 minutes, Trent plays a ball to Harvey Elliott on the left for a change. His cross is met at the back post by Mo Salah, but his header was going in at the near post, but saved by the keeper comparatively comfortably. And then the last thing I wanted to mention was Trent, who I still don't think quite has his legs yet. I thought I've seen he seemed a little bit just maybe, you know, not quite on the pace of the game in the last two cameos we've seen from him. But on 22 minutes, Trent does a thing that only Trent can do. He 
hits a ball over the top, deliberately would dip to fall at Mo Salah's feet as he's bearing down on goal. And if Mo gets there before the ball bounces, it's a goal or it's going to be a really good um, attempt from Mo. Unfortunately, he doesn't get there and the chance is gone. But again, it's just a vision of that kid. Um, it, it reminds you every so often of the fact that there are not many around like him when it comes to quality deliveries. Um, a lot there for you to, to, to dip into. Just pick out whatever you want to talk about in those first 22. Yeah, I thought the pattern of the game was established immediately, really, in terms of sort of us dominating the ball. Uh, you could sort of pinpoint the players who perhaps had something to prove or sort of like wanted to prove themselves on the evening. I think you know, we, we've already spoken about Gravenberg and how he stood out early on. Uh, looked sharp, looked like more more up for a, a competitive game than sort of a whole bunch of them throughout the evening. Um, like felt his his off the ball work looked pretty good as well. On the ball looked looked confident, looked neat and tidy as well. And as you mentioned, that shot was was really encouraging as well. And I think in in the early moments you could see sort of the the other sort of difference in quality from those players that perhaps we were surprised were starting. Obviously mentioned Salah uh, and mentioned Darwin as well. I think on an, another night both of them score uh, in in this opening patch and yeah perhaps we're on our way to a much more comfortable looking victory in the end in terms of, sort of maybe three or four goals things like that. But yeah, I mean that. I was expecting perhaps a, a little bit of a flurry from them early on if they were going to throw everything at us. Or, but again, sort of they looked a bit a sensible approach from them, whilst also sort of giving themselves a good performance on the night. And you know, there's some nice touches from Harvey there, who I think so far in his cameos has impressed uh, in terms of just being a bit a little bit more perf- purposeful when he has had opportunities on the pitch and uh, it looks like he's enjoying being able to focus more solely on the attacking side of his game than, than what we'd seen last season. But yeah, I mean, aside from that miss from Darwin, which I mean, just, it doesn't make good contact with the ball. I thought it was a pretty encouraging uh, sort of opening, opening 20 minutes without being sort of necessarily thrilling. Uh, I think on another night, if, if a couple of those chances go in, perhaps the, the team then does raise itself a little bit and decides, okay, maybe there's some fun to be had here. Uh, and, and maybe they're a little bit more, a little bit more eager to you know, sprint for all the 50-50s and things like that. Because I, I did feel the pace of the game was still a little bit slow, even in those early moments. So I think you know we're easing ourselves into it as as is to be expected in this competition. You know, for a lot of a lot of these players, as we've already mentioned, it was a case of them getting uh, you know, getting fitness, not wanting to get hurt. Another important game on the weekend, and um, it's. It's hard to be overly critical of any of them, really. I mean, I think with, with Gravenberg, what has been really fun to see as well is, and it's really obvious in some of the post-match content from him is, you know, we'd heard a lot about a player who hadn't really felt necessarily too welcomed at, at his previous club. Like, I heard quite a lot about attitude off the pitch, and then like, whenever I spoke to people about him, actually, not much of it seemed to come to fruition. What you're seeing here seems to be somebody who's delighted that he's been welcomed in the way in which he's been welcomed is uh, you know, smiling ear to ear in terms of, sort of actually being at Anfield I mean Dave was mentioning sort of the you know, the opponents tonight and sort of them viewing it as a privilege I think he, he clearly views it as a, a terrific opportunity for himself right and he's, he's he's very keen to impress I mean we've seen a whole bunch of stories about him staying staying behind on international duty for example I don't think he's been selected again for the upcoming break so we'll have even more time to work on his game and 
I think there's a there's a sense there that there's a real aptitude to for him to put himself to the task that's ahead of him. He's very young, a chance to reestablish himself and um, reassert himself in his career. And uh, I was I was really excited actually just to just to see the way the way in which he applied himself all evening. I'm not saying necessarily set the world on fire, but I thought there was a player there you could see, yeah, alongside the likes of Kwanzaa perhaps took that game very seriously um, and you know, played in a bit more of a competitive spirit than perhaps you saw from some of the regulars, right, for whom this is maybe even a, a couple of steps down. Yeah, almost a bit of a disappointment for some of them to be involved in it, perhaps personally speaking. Although Mo, as usual, front and centre there for three yeah. different opportunities. And, um, uh, you know, as you say, 21 is no age. Um, the kid has a, a whole career ahead of him. So it's mm. very, very interesting to see what we get from Gravenberg with things moving forward. Dave, if you want to comment on anything from that opening period, please do just before we get started um, on the second half of the first half. Now together, uh, just a couple of things. One on Gravenberg, um, he should see it as a privilege to play for Liverpool because it is, and they should all see it like that, not just him. So every time they represent the club, they should be excited about it and they should be taking it fully seriously and putting everything they have into it because this club is is not any run of the mill club. Um, in terms of the team selection, you guys mentioned how surprised you were that Mo started, and so was I. But the biggest surprise to me was who didn't start. I don't understand why Curtis Jones didn't start tonight, because he's now suspended domestically mm. until November. Like, he's not going to kick a ball domestically until November. And considering... That means he plays one more game this month, which mm. is on the 26th of October, which is three weeks from tonight. So I didn't really understand why he didn't start tonight, because he's been in really good form in the league, obviously gets the red card against Spurs. The ban has been upheld. So he can't play other than that. He, he can play. He, sorry, he can't play against Brighton at the weekend. Then he misses our first two league games back after the the international break. So his next domestic game that he can play is Bournemouth at the start of November. So I would have thought this was definitely a game for Curtis to start. So I was, I was surprised. I thought Harvey would start right wing and Curtis would start in midfield. I had no expectation that Mo would start at all. Uh, I thought it was a rather odd decision, but look, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think if, when you look at the first half on balance or the first half of the first half, there are three separate opportunities there where Mo could have slotted. And I think then all of a sudden there's something. It's not like the decision is justified, but everyone's a little bit happier with the whole thing. Um, you know, there was that one where he's played in right at the early in the early goings. There's a ball over the top from Trent. And then there's the other one where he's a back post header. And if any of them had gone in, I suppose, then sort of like, you know, you, you, maybe you start to understand. He, we, we've said on this show that, you know, he's going to be putting Jurgen under pressure because he wants to play. But I, I'm fully in agreement. I, I thought it was a bit odd myself that Curtis didn't start. And, if we go for the remainder of that first half, um, myself and yourself, Dave, on 25 minutes, um, 
they have their first opportunity of the game. It's a silly free kick given away by Simicus with a handball on the deck when there's no need for it. Um, the free kick is delivered from the right-hand side uh, to the head of Nielsen, who jumps comparatively unchallenged by comparison with, you know, what you might expect that the um, the pressure might be. So uh, I, I found that a little bit distressing. Um, it was a simple opportunity, um, a ball into the box, and the tallest lad on the pitch got his head to it. That's just too easy. Um, <clears throat> but we get back on top in terms of possession, all the rest of it. Some lovely work by Grafenberg on 29 minutes, a, a turn and a... And a, an attempt to play a ball in it goes out I think for a corner or um, something very like that on 35 minutes there's a fantastic half volley by Darwin um, on the near post of an Ibu Kanate ball over the top but it's batted away by the keeper and on 43 we do go one up it is Gravenberg Trent launches a counter attack from one of their rare opportunities to have the ball in our territory um, he carries it the length of the pitch. Darwin's pacing on ahead of him on that left side. He plays the ball out to Darwin, takes it back, cuts in, has a shot. Um, it's not a particularly spectacular shot. It's not hit with particular venom, but what it does is it bounces in front of the keeper. And I think the keeper's been getting a lot of shit about this, specifically from the TNT um, goalkeeper. Um, she was um, very critical of him. Um, she was on, on with Michael Owen on the panel. I apologize. I can't remember the girl's name. Um, but she was very critical about his stance and what he should have done and what he shouldn't have done. But again, anyone will tell you as a goalkeeper, a ball bounces in front of a year in shit street. This is not going to go well. And he does spill it. And Gravenberg is there to sweep it home. Uh, we go one nil up now, just to finish out the events of the uh, first half, we needed Ali to come out at, I think it's a Mora's feet on 44 minutes. Uh, and Ibu to kind of sort out the mess and pull it out for a corner. And we also needed Ibu to be very good on 47 minutes, 1v1 against Nielsen. So they had started to actually feel their way into the game a bit, either side of our goal. Um, anything about that second half of the first half you want to chat about, Dave? No, it was like you mentioned when you were speaking with Harry about the early stage, we, we were so on top and it just seemed like a matter of time. And then obviously we miss a couple of great chances. The keeper makes a couple of decent saves. Um, and <clears throat> and then <clears throat> arguably the simplest shot that he has to deal with. It, like it's Darwin, Darwin ruins the counter-attack <laughs> by playing a kind of a shit ball pack to Trent. And Trent just has to hit it because he's got nothing else he can really do. He doesn't make great contact, but like you said, it does bounce just in front of him. But, you know, Palm it away. <laughs> don't don't palm it right back into the middle of the middle of the box. But Gravenberg does really well because as soon as Trent hits it, he's moving. Like as soon as Trent draws back to hit that ball, Gravenberg makes his break. And I think he thought he went a little bit early because as soon as he scored, he looked. The first thing he did was look across to the linesman before he actually celebrated. And look, as we know, that the linesman decision doesn't really mean anything. But um, thankfully enough, the goal gets given. And it's a, it's a great confidence booster for him. That's a goal and two assists he has now in his, you know, fledgling Liverpool career. So that'll, that'll all do him the world of good to get good minutes into his legs. As Harry mentioned earlier, 
you can see his pressing. It's still rough and ready, but he knows who he's meant to be who he's meant to be pressing, and he's making the effort to get there. So that's all really promising this early in his Liverpool career. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just we started to get sloppy towards the end of the half, and as you said, we needed Ali to put big in the one instance and Ibu in another. And it was just like, just get to halftime, lads. Stop pricking about. Get in and then have a nice rest and then come back out and put this game to bed in the first 15 minutes of the second half. And we can all just be happy then at that. But obviously the the lads decided it was more fun to walk the tightrope as they did in the second half. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye bye. They really did. And I just have a feeling if we're going to have any conversation, it's probably going to be at the end of the description of this second half because it's kind of, I don't want to say a non-event, but I mean, in terms of big chances or in terms of like dramatic moments, we're kind of short on them. It was a real snooze fest, Harry, of the second half. Um, and and I again, I felt like any of the pressure that came on us was from seeding territory and allowing, uh, needlessly allowing attacks to build to the stage where there were corners being won. I think, like I said, I think they won around 10 odd corners, mostly in that second half. Um, but just to go through it, do, we do shake it up quite a bit, Harry, at the start of the second half with McAllister, Luis Diaz and Curtis Jones coming on for Darwin, Moe and Endo. And, you know, again, I, I, it's odd. It's all odd, this. But look, Jürgen's going to Jürgen and uh, it just seems strange. You, you have Darwin and Mo Salah, you decided to play them uh, and they don't score in the first half, so you take them off. Uh, when the, you would imagine the reason you're playing both of those guys is so they could get a goal in their in their uh, into their boots, and especially after Nunez's miss, I thought he would certainly continue. But no, um, we bring on McAllister, like I said, Luis Diaz and Curtis Jones. On 49, Ali comes out and sort of atypically makes poor contact with a punch from. A corner, surprise, surprise. And it was a pretty dangerous scenario, actually, with the way the ball dropped. And, um, Ali sort of paused at it, and it's still in a dangerous position. But Kwanza is the calmest man in the situation and clears the danger. And 52, a lovely move. Uh, McAllister, who's just come onto the pitch, plays in a very nice ball into Jota. And again, you know, the Steve McManaman... Uh, what a genius he is! Reckon you know Jota should do better. It's, he's he's not he's not made great contact. I think that's absolute arse. I think it was a great header. Um, 
I think he's very good at that. Uh, and it's tipped over the bar. I mean, I'm not quite 100% sure what um, McManaman wanted in that situation. 57 minutes, Curtis has an effort, which gets deflected over the top for a corner from which nothing accrues. And on uh, the hour mark, we see a great curling effort by Gravenberg uh, tipped out for a corner. We change it up again, Harry. Um, Joe Gomez coming on for Trent, and yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense, I think, at that point. And Joe straight into the action on 63 minutes. A fantastic ball by him into Luis Diaz, who couldn't just quite dip his head low enough to make contact with it. And we're just going to finish, you and I, um, on the next one, which is just to add a little bit of balance. A period of the game which was very much them on 65 minutes. Um, is it a more ice? It was went at us. His cross leads to a corner of Ibu Kanate and another corner results. Then on 67 minutes, they get yet another corner. And on 72 minutes, they have another pair of corners. And like I said, that was kind of the story of the game in terms of what they were up to in terms of managing to threaten us it was rally the troops get a corner and then at the end i think they might have a one or two long throws but did you feel like the game could possibly get away from us i was starting to think around about this point where we're cutting it off here jesus we could get mugged here and then we're going to be relying on a late goal um did you have any feeling like that or were you reasonably confident we were going to push through regardless i think my only concern was was going to be if it was sloppiness to be honest Mm. or not on our part, I mean, I think regardless of the quality of the opposition, I think we've seen it in, in numerous competitions now. If, if you know, set pieces are the great leveler uh, you know, in terms of you can you can do something smart from a set piece, or there can just be a you know a deflection at a set piece. This punch, like we saw with Ali on occasion tonight, um, which is very rare from him, right? But it can happen. Uh, as long as uh, the opposition player reacts first, I mean, they, they, they have a chance to to sort of sort of level the playing field there. On the balance of quality that was out there, I think we saw. I mean, the pattern was established. We were talking about the very first ten, the first ten minutes. It was obvious how the game was going to go, and yeah, I, I think my concern was Liverpool being lulled into a little bit of a. Uh, you know, autopilot mode, drifting through a game. And uh, you mentioned it, Trev, sometimes conceding a goal in, in, in a game like this or certainly sort of like being threatened in a more serious way is tends to be what's necessary to wake a team up on an occasion like this. And it was either that we were going to grab that goal, um, which had a couple of good chances that you talked about there. Jota with a good header, I thought. Gravenberg had a good, uh, a good strike as well. So it easily could have come, but I think my my fear was about the sloppiness uh, of ourselves or a set piece just going wrong, which is you know, can always happen. But I think in this patch, what what I did want to mention actually, because I think all those subs were pre-planned. I think Jurgen's already said it at uh, at the press conference. So again, maybe Mo and Darwin. It was just a bit of a I don't know, like an open training session really, give them some minutes in their legs a little bit, but. The uh, the substitution of Joe Gomez was one I wanted to mention just because uh, I think yeah, so far this season he's 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 really impressed me in some, in some of the classiness of his performances. I think uh, uh, even tonight as well. Again, we're talking about the opposition that we were facing, but I thought largely a lot of the things that he did showed the confidence that he started the season with, you know, neat and tidy on the ball. 
um, some, you know, some pretty effective crossing and uh, some of his attacking play that I think we don't always appreciate as well. Uh, and I think, again, what I thought is that you, you do always forget that Joe Gomez is a pretty big, a pretty big guy, actually. And I think there was a, uh, another thing that sort of caught me this evening, but was happy to see him come on again. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him starting uh, on the weekend, given you know, perhaps some of the fears around the threats of of Matoma, for example. But I think he started the season really positively, and for a player who's gone through you know the sort of the injury woes that he has, for him to have found a way to to come back again and show he can still be a useful uh, member of the squad uh, and contribute in you know, not just games like this, but the games we've seen so far this season, I think it's been really really encouraging. But yeah, in that patch. I mean, that's, there was just there was just so little from them of, of of genuine threat in terms of like somebody having searing pace or somebody showing that they could strike a ball with ferocity that was going to you know, trouble us or something like that. That I, I did think if there was going to be a sting at the end of this tail, it was going to have to be through uh, either a sort of exceptional set piece delivery or yeah, a little bit of sloppiness on our part. Yeah, we did our best on a couple of occasions to be that sloppy. And, you know, there was, there's, there's a ridiculous moment in the end here, which I'm going to be chatting to Dave about in a sec. But Dave, just to bring you in, that's a really good point Harry makes. And it's something that I felt very, very strongly personally as well. I've been delighted with Joe Gomez and what he's done this season. And Harry mentioned the thing that, you know, what was really apparent about Joe when he was excelling at centre half was the classiness of mm. him on the ball. And you don't just lose that. Now you can get shunted out to right back and maybe perhaps seem as if um, it, things can be a little bit more pressurised. You, you, you could find yourself maybe not being as uh, Rolls Royce esque as you can at centre half. However, that doesn't seem to have dropped for Joe. And I've been very impressed with that side of his game. His passing, I think, is excellent. His crossing is really good. And frankly, if we didn't have potentially the best right back in the world in Trent there in the background, you'd be very high on Joe Gomez, at least I would, on what we've seen from this side. Between the solidity, defensive-wise, you know, Harry, like Harry says, he's a unit, but he's also very good positionally. Between that, he's gotten better, actually, than he used to be positionally. Mm. He reads between, the game a lot better now. He does. So between that and the obvious classiness on the ball, you know, he can take the ball right, left, he can turn in, turn out, he can play a, a simple ball, or he can play a lovely forward pass. I think... I mean, it's it's one of the success stories of the season so far has been Joe in that position. Well, without question. And the, the other thing as well is like Joe is rapid. Joe might be the quickest player in the squad. He certainly was before the last injury. And when you consider that we have Salah, we had at the time Mane, we had Virgil. Like there's some quick, quick lads in our squad and Joe Gomez could beat them all in a half field sprint. So... You know, the, the guy can properly shift through the gears. And, you know, at, at the end of last season, when we started doing this inverted fullback thing that I still don't like, I remember thinking before the midfield began the overhaul, I remember thinking, I'd love us to just buy a proper ball winner and stick Trent next to him in midfield, go to a box midfield, play two up front, Salah and Darwin. You know, we were being linked with Alexis and... Mason Mount at the time. And I remember thinking, if it's Mount and Alexis as those sort of 
out-to-in type of advanced midfielders and Trent and a real ball winner next to him, that's a midfield that would really work. Then I was thinking, well, it would mean replacing Trent. And as I went round and sort of looked at all the really high-end right-backs in Europe and the different things that they can offer, I kept coming back to the thing of if Joe Gomez had never had these serious injuries, he would literally be my picture-perfect right-back. Because if you're playing Alexis or Mount on the left of that box, they're going to come in field onto their on, onto their natural foot, which means there's no left footer. So you really want your attacking fullback then to be your left back, which obviously Andy Robertson can fill in. And if we were to look for a long, long-term success, are you going to want someone from the same mould as Robbo? Which means that Joe, with his ability to, like Harry said, get forward on the overlap, as you said, carry the ball inside into traffic and beat players and be very comfortable doing it, but also his ability then to just sit into a back three and spray the passes around. Not obviously to the level of Trent, but for a centre-back, Joe has excellent distribution, especially his short passing. And he's the best, despite the fact that Joel Matip gets all the praise for it. Joe Gomez is a much better ball carrier than Joel Matip. He's a lot more consistent about it. And he can do it more often. Matip picks and chooses his spots. And it's rarer. So that's why everybody gets excited about it. Gomez does it three and four times a game and no one says a word. Um, and I kept coming back to that. Like if Joe could had stayed fit and continued to develop from where we saw in the title winning season. Now he was playing centre back admittedly. But that level that he showed to the first half of that season... If he hadn't had the injuries and we'd still brought in Ibu, then shifting Joe to right back and going Joe, Ibu, Virgil, and then Robbo slash successor would be a pretty flawless defense. The problem for Joe is because of the injuries, like he's missed so much time in his career and he's missed so much development in his career. Like the player we're seeing, as good as he is, isn't, I don't think, anywhere close to what he could have been. Like, if Joe had never had the amount of injuries that he has, for me, it wouldn't even be a question. Joe would be the best English defender around. I still maintain that a fully fit Joe Gomez starts for the majority of the league because because of the versatility. Right back, centre back in a two, right side of a back three, middle of a back three because you get that composure, that ball winning, that sweeping ability he has because of his pace. But he's just been so unfortunate with these injuries. Like, he joins Liverpool. It's the dream move for a kid who's come through the Charlton Academy and he tears his ACL. And then he gets back and he's back in training a couple of weeks and he has an Achilles tendon problem and that caused him to miss another bunch of time. And then he's fine, and then he hurts his ankle, and then he ends up missing 13 games with an ankle injury, which is what really gave Trent the right-back spot, because if you remember in 17-18, it was a real battle, Trent or Gomez at right-back. They yeah. both usurped Klein, who hurt his back, and it was a real battle, and it was only Gomez getting hurt that really gave Trent the position. And then he comes back in, he's playing centre-back, and he gets hurt because he has to fit in it right back away to Burnley. 
and he's another serious ankle injury that requires another surgery. So you're now three surgeries into his career, two on his ankles, one on his cruciate. He's only 22. Then he's he's in and out. He comes back in for the start of the title-winning season. He is outstanding. He has a couple of knocks here and there, and he's rotating with Matip and Lovren and whatever. And then the start of the 2021 season, Virgil gets hurt. Fab moves back, and Fab and Joe have a couple of games. And you think, do you know what? Th- this is the pairing while Virgil's out. Like, all due respect to Joel Matip, this is the pairing. Because Fab reading the game, talking Joe through the game, Joe's passing ability, his pace, his sweeping ability, and just how good he is as a 1v1 defender, this is going to be great. And he goes off on England duty and he tears his patella tendon, which is about the worst injury you can have. And he misses a year and then he has a year where we go for everything. And Ibu is playing unbelievably. Joel is playing really well. And Joe, because he's working back from such a serious injury, is fairly poor. And then last season, he's in and out of the team. He never gets a consistent run. He has that unbelievable performance at home to City, where him and Virgil just take Haaland out of the game completely. And then the next game he plays, he's he's dreadful. And then he was like that for the rest of the season. He'd be good and he'd be dreadful. There was no kind of baseline performance. He was 8 out of 10 or 3 out of 10. And thankfully, coming into this season, he seems to have found that baseline where the worst he's going to give you is like 6.5. But when he's on and he's in form at the moment, he's giving you eights. Now, tonight I thought he had a couple of ropey moments defensively, but this season I've been really impressed by him. The, The performance against West Ham was outrageously good, considering what he's been asked to do on the ball, step into midfield in that central role, and be a playmaker, which is not something he's done before, and he adapted to it really well. And then defensively, he was tremendous. So, yeah, I've, I've, it's a long-winded way of saying I've been really, really impressed with Joe this season. I'd love if he could stay fit. I mean, the guy is 26 years of age. He's had four major surgeries, and let's knock on wood and hope that he can stay injury-free. Like, he's always probably going to have the odd knock here or there, but hopefully he can avoid the major injuries because he can be an outstanding footballer for us for the next five, six years, even just in a squad role. I'm loving the rhythm he's in at the moment and the combination of strength and skill is lovely to see. And like you, like you, I hope uh, it long lasts around the first team for Liverpool for uh, many years to come. And just to finish out the details of this match, because like I said, it was a bit of a snooze fest, to be honest. On 74 minutes, they bring on Siddiqui for Van Hoot. And then we bring on Dominic for Gravenberg on 78. Uh, he has an attempt that's well wide on 85. And that's all that happened in those moments they bring on a sub I think it's Sykes for McAllister on 85 minutes and he gets his uh, round of applause as well Um, and you know dad's happy up in the stands on 86 minutes Curtis has a break and a shot from distance but it's low and it's wide Dangerous ball in by, uh, is it Cortez, uh, by Montez, excuse me, on 87. Ali gathers, five minutes are added, 
at that stage we're pretty disjointed if we're being honest um I mean, the the key moment of our disjointedness is after the goal where McAllister plays a blind ball back towards Ali and it's just luck that it's not underhill enough and that the guy can't get there. Um, and it, again, it was kind of typical of all people as well, McAllister on the, on the night. It's kind of typical of the, of the carelessness that had crept in at that stage. We do, of course, go and finish the game 2-0. It is Diogo Jota on 91 minutes. And it's a great finish. After a break had gone very much awry. But as Amani is tracking back, he makes contact with the ball and ends up playing in Jota, who's advancing on that left-hand side. He doesn't have any time to think about it. And he strikes the ball across goal with his left foot. And it's a fantastic finish. It's the finish of a goal poacher. Uh, and as you, I think you had said earlier on, you know, he had been wretched for most of that game, even getting in the way and very, very poor in terms of his link-up play. And they hadn't offered much at all. Um, but he's the kind of guy that that's why you put him in the team is for that moment. And um, the best teams over the years, Dave, have always had Jotas, which are, you know, perhaps limited in terms of what they can offer the team, but who gives a shit if they mm. keep coming up in the goals because that's what it's all about. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I mean, he's from the... The school of, of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and, and Chicharito Hernandez, those strikers that United have always had just some random prick that had very limited footballing ability, but could come <laughs> off the bench and he'd always get a goal. He'd always get a goal. Yeah. And it was really, really annoying how often those two in particular would score and bail them out of the shit. And Jota has bailed us out of the shit a whole bunch of times. And he's a better all-round player than either of them were. But he is still quite limited, and it's why when you look at you know our our big five in attack, for me he's the fifth one. You know, Mo, Darwin, Diaz, Cody. I would put all of them above him. But you do need a player like that. You need someone that can come off the bench, give you a spark. Ideally, the right type of spark, not the one he gave us against Spurs at the weekend. But you know. Um, but I love him in that off the bench, 25 minutes, just go on and empty the tank, be an absolute menace. Just go and run and run and run. 
use your intelligence, use your movement. And when you get that half chance, I know you're at least going to get your shot on target. The one thing we know with Jot is if he gets into position, he's going to work the keeper. And that's what he did. He's just got, he's got a great finishing ability. Like he, he of, of the forwards, he's the most natural finisher. He's got the best idea of where he wants to put the ball, even over Mo. If Darwin had Jota's finishing ability, Darwin's 45 goals a season every year. Um, and hopefully he'll get there, but you know, just for now. Um, and he, and he's really popular as well. Like you can tell he's a beloved teammate. He's someone that the other guys really, really have that strong affinity for, which is a very good thing for us. And he seems to be, you know, very much embracing his role and he, and he does give absolutely everything he has. Like he never walks off the field looking like he's been out for a gentle saunter. He, he could be on for 10 minutes. He's coming off pouring with sweat. Jersey stuck to him. He's given you whatever he had at the tank he's given. So I, I was thrilled for him to get his goal. And we saw a few weeks ago when Cody was in this type of form, playing really poorly, he got goals in a couple of matches that he didn't play particularly well in. And that helped him boost his level as well. So hopefully with Jota, you know, good minutes under his belt tonight, good goal, and hopefully he takes the positives of it and, and gets gets himself moving. The only disappointment in that second half, well, other than us not getting an earlier goal and some of the sloppy mistakes, I was just really hoping there'd be a ball that'd break about 15 yards from their penalty area and Kevin McAllister would come out blood and thunder charging for it and Alexis had come in blood and thunder charging for it <laughs> yeah. and the two of them had just absolutely boot each other up in the air. I was really hoping something would break between them and they'd boot each other up in the air because they just would have been funny. Um, but, yeah, I, to be fair, I thought his brother actually had a decent enough game tonight. Seems a tidy little player. Um, but that was a very out-of-character uh, error that you mentioned earlier by Alexis where he just just puts a little bit too too little on the ball. And you'd wonder, like, when, when Jürgen went to Ali probably a day or two ago and said, look, Queving's not going to be able to play um, on Thursday night, so I'm going to need you to play. I I would bet he said it'll be an easy enough night. You won't have much to do. You know, just just stand in the goal and and relax yourself. And in the end, he has to come herring off his line three or four different times to deal with with mistakes and makes a couple of decent saves as well. Obviously, but uh, yeah, always good to have that 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 great fella in goal because he he does all. It's 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 like starting a game with a one nil lead. Because he'll always save you a goal at some point. For sure. I as, as I was listening to you there, I'm wondering, would Diogo give Costas a run for his money as probably our daftest and possibly most anti-mastermind footballer? And these are just suspicions I have. I have nothing to back it up. I just don't think either of them seem like the brightest sparks in the world. Uh, but I will leave that sit there. That's a little bit of slander sit there. I'll be back to you, Dave, for your wrap-up thoughts in a minute. And um, Harry, I'll get more or less yours now. Why not? Um, just if I could just plant a little seed at the start of as well. I'm looking at a one of those stat gathering types um, who's commenting on Gerald Kwanzaa, and it would probably behoove us, I think, uh, to to mention the kid again just towards the end because it would be very easy to take for granted what he's done since he's pulled on the shirt, and I don't think we should. Tonight, 
some of the stats here over the course of the 90 he played 99 passes which was actually the most in the match uh, 90% accuracy he created one chance um, five passes into the final third which is good eight ball recoveries four interceptions two clearances um, stats are stats Harry but also you can it's the eye test too. And this guy has a calm about him that I really have loved from minute yeah. one. And I think it's kind of, uh, the main reason why he's doing so well is because he does seem to have that thing that, you know, you, you notice in the best footballers from a young age, they have that little bit of self possession to take an extra touch or not look, uh, harried when they're on the ball and under pressure. Um, so, if you could fold in some Kwanzaa thoughts into your final observations as well, I'd appreciate that. No, absolutely. I'm happy to happy to keep going with the Kwanzaa propaganda. I think he's I think he's been great so far. As I, I think you you're spot on to mention that that temperament that he's uh, that he's shown in the games that he's played so far, and there's been sort of different different kinds of tests that he's gone through. I think so far I think tonight wasn't too too difficult for him, but uh, I mean I think. One thing you often see with with young defenders that catch the eye and then uh, are quickly snapped up by clubs, often for, for pretty big fees, is perhaps they've got some uh, you know terrific uh, athletic sort of nature about them in terms of they've got you know, great recovery pace or they're huge defenders. And um, I'm actually thinking a little bit about uh, um, the sort of the, the two former Leipzig defenders here. Obviously, so we got Kanate. Uh, but Meccano goes to Bayern as well. Defenders like that, eventually, we, we, you look at them and go, oh, these are really impressive. But very often you see these defenders and go, well, actually, if you watch them for, for enough games, are they necessarily the best defenders in the world or do they have fantastic natural traits that enable them to get themselves out of trouble when, they're, when they are in those situations? I'm not, I'm not saying that about Kanate or perhaps I'm being a bit harsh on Upamecano as well, but you know what I mean. There are those defenders, certainly at the age that Quanta's at. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the temperament that has been the most uh, enjoyable thing for me to see from him. He, he doesn't look like much phases him. There have been some tricky moments in a few games, but it you know, looks to immediately sort of get his head level again. And I, I think there's a sort of a clear affinity that sort of the players have for him. You can see Virgil gone out of his way on a couple of occasions to you know, congratulate him after a game, like sort of like, like spend a bit more time speaking to him sort of after a match, you know, perhaps just reinforcing the impressiveness of the, of the performance. And he's got a really, I mean, we talk about our center back options and, and the start of the season, we were talking about, you know, where, where was Matip in his Liverpool career, uh, Liverpool career, where was Joe Gomez in his Liverpool career. But I think that must be a great group to develop around in terms of sort of just how encouraging um, they no doubt are how talented they all are in different ways as well, and sort of like the the sort of knowledge they can impart to him as well. So I think he's he's in a great place. It's a good moment for him to be in the um, in the squad that we have, and I think he's yeah he's, he's taken his opportunity like really well at the start of the season. So yeah, delighted that he could do yeah get another impressive performance under his belt. I think there's some positive clock quotes about him and uh, Jota. I mean just. Just, just to go back to what you were talking about with the goal, I think it's, it's, it's an absolutely hilarious uh, footballer uh, in sort of his, just the way in which he uh, just refu- refuses not to get a goal despite some of the most 
um, <laughs> sort of like haphazard performances you'll see. Uh, I mean, I mean, Dave's Dave's referred to well, referred to him as a random prick, or like not, not a random prick, but of course other teams had those random pricks. I'm delighted that we've got one. I have to say, uh, and he is a little bit of that as well because we, we've seen in these games. I mean, the number of times I've watched that celebration in front of Leicester fans back to myself it's yeah it's very enjoyable uh, that he can he can provide that little bit of uh, tenacity to his game as well so yeah it's just a sums him up and I think by the time he leaves the club he's probably going to leave with uh, one of the most impressive goals per game record um, of uh, of the players that we've had under Klopp so I think yeah you you he really is a delight to have a player like that in the squad and just one last stat I suppose because uh, in a game like this, it's nice to sort of throw these ones up. But uh, Ryan Gravenberg is the first player to either score or assist a goal uh, in each of his first three starts for Liverpool in all competitions since uh, Milan Barros, which is a sort of a nice name wow. for, uh, from the past, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how he started. Uh, he's clearly enjoying himself. And, uh, yeah, it's he's... Klopp's plenty of nice comments after the game about how, you know, how much of a talent he obviously is, fitting in well. And there's a bit of an opportunity here, you know, for himself, for Endo, um, with, with Curtis Jones out of the side for for the next few games. So let's see if he does get an opportunity uh, over the next few games. And uh, yeah, you'd hope he grasped it, uh, or you'd hope he grasps it. But that for me, in terms of sort of like. Uh, What's coming next? I've re- recorded a conversation with uh, sort of Alan Wears from from Albion Raw, sort of the Brighton podcast. Really interesting chat with him yesterday about um, sort of the process he's seen since Deserby joined the club. Um, some really nice comments as well on on McAllister. Some interesting sort of comments on Caicedo as well, and sort of his thoughts on how that whole saga played itself out, and perhaps what could have been best for for the player. So some interesting insights on that as well, and. Yeah, that should be up uh, tomorrow ahead of the weekend's game. Tremendous. The uh, the process that he's seen, was it a good process, Harry? What process? Oh, 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 oh deserving. I mean, he, he said it. I mean, well, this season, I mean, they've scored. I think they've scored the most goals conceded. Uh, the second or most goal, third most goals in the league as well. So he says it's still a learning curve. Uh, and he was, he was keen to remind me that they have replaced their engine room with obviously McAllister going, Caicedo going. And he was talking a lot about how even if you, you know, they recruit smartly, like we know Brighton do, uh, sort of the relationship that those two had you know, will take something to to replace really. So th- th- they're still fine tuning it. But I think he's enjoying himself, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but I, I think he said that he, the previous game was a fun fest uh, over at Brighton, and he's not expecting uh, uh, sort of a similar a similar game. So let's hope he's uh, he's right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, part of that was a snide VAR <laughs> comment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, how, can, how can I get that? Sorry. But 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 also also I don't know if you saw uh, lads. The, there was a tremendous uh, Brighton had had a couple of bad results in a row, and some of the uh, naysayers were coming out. And there was a tremendous uh, I don't know what you call it. It's not a triptych, but when you've got four pictures on Twitter, yeah. whatever the equivalent with four is um, of uh, increasingly haggard looking, um, uh, goateed and balding men. <laughs> 
<laughs> you look vaguely like Deserby, <laughs> implying some sort of a tremendous falling off. Well, that was mean. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Harry, for that. And of course, uh, you should always be uh, tuned in to Rival Recon because the chats are always fantastic. It's great to get the view from the opposition fan um, and uh, Harry never winds them up too much so he gets the best out of them so do yourself a favour and listen to that show if you haven't already and Dave your final thoughts and plugs um, before we wrap it just uh, very happy to get three points and happy that that's one more Europa League group stage game over only four <laughs> only four more to survive um, yeah I mean Look, the result is all that matters. We got a couple of very good individual performances, as Harry said. Huge opportunity now, potentially for Ryan Gravenberg with with Curtis out. There is that third spot in midfield that's now open. Dominic and Alexis are nailed on. That third spot is open, and and it's up to to Ryan or to Waturoendo or to Harvey Elliott. It'd be a little less ideal, I think, with those other two in midfield. Um, it's up to one of them to, to grab it for themselves and make it their own. And look, Curtis has started the season really well. But if Gravenberg was to have three really strong league performances in a row, Curtis will find himself Wally Pipped. And, you know, if you don't know what that means, I'll, I'll leave you to go and, and look up your Google uh, as to what getting Wally Pipped means. But, um, yeah, I'm just happy with the win, happy with, with Gravenberg's first goal, happy with Quance's performance and always happy for Diogo Jota to, to do funny things. And when I say random prick, like fans of other clubs hate him. Arsenal fans, if you were to poll them on the player they dislike the most, <laughs> it would probably be him because he has owned them and dog-walked their defenders on multiple occasions. And he just has this way of winding up opposition fans. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like a gift that he has. Um, so that's always nice. But, yeah, I mean, all good with the three points. As for me, uh, two-footed every day. I think Wednesday of next week, I'm away. Uh, Daily Red, obviously, every day as well. But, again, Wednesday of next week, I won't be, it won't be about but. Um, we'll be back on Raw as well, and there'll be a scouted recorded tomorrow ahead of Brighton um, with Carl, and then obviously we'll we'll get a couple done in the international break as well. Yeah, the international break I'm already looking forward to. I think we should try and do a few a few bits and bobs uh, between us all in that for sure. And just for the benefit of listeners who are too lazy to Google. What does Wally Pip? What does being Wally Pip right. mean? So, so I, I, no, I, I, I'm going to read this thing, and you tell me if it's right. It, it says here, being Wally Pip, as in that guy pipped out. He's not coming to work, or he's pulling a Wally. Translated loosely to mean he's a couch potato. He's slacking off again, a sloth. No, that's a that's a shocker of a. That's what I thought. That's a shocker of a of, oh, a, of an analogy. So what it is is Wally Pip was the starting first baseman for the New York Yankees back in the 1910s and early 20s and was one of the best first basemen in the league. And he got injured. Uh, He was stepping off a train and he turned his ankle and he was in probably the form of his career. He turns his ankle and Lou Garrick, who's in the Yankees farm system, steps up and takes his role 
and he's and Luke Garrick would he's, go he's on to play. He, he's an all-time great, right? Yeah, and Luke Garrick would go on to play like for 10, 12 years straight. And Pip never really got himself uh, regularly back in. He, he did play a decent amount after that, but never in his in his chosen position of first base. So it, it's basically where you're in great form, you're doing really well, you're you're the undeniable first choice in your position, and something unfortunate befalls you. In his case, stepping off a train the wrong way. In Curtis's case, uh, a very dodgy VAR decision. And um, and you lose your spot. You don't get it back. Well, all of us here on Raw are always watching that we don't get Wally pipped because we know, we know Guy Drinkle's waiting. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Lou Gehrig, waiting. Just waiting. And uh, on that note, we'll finish up with Guy waiting and with us having chatted you through what was a very drab European win. But that's exactly the way we like our European wins, isn't it? And as Dave says, it's two down of the sentence that we had to get through. Uh, we're trying to do this in the most upbeat way possible because, hey, we want to win this competition. And the signs are pretty decent so far. Lots of yeah. decent outings for our fringe players. Uh, lots of minutes and legs for lads who are making their way back who are nominal first teamers and the results going the way they should. So from me, Trev Downey, from Dave Hendrick, from Harry Sethi and from producer Guy Drinkle, this is Raw. And like Dave says, we'll be back for Brighton and then we'll try and take a little gap for the international break on Raw and come back firing for the next part of the season. Good luck. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.